This is Alpha Geek Radio. All right, everybody. Right, this right. is the comic book collecting and grading panel. I am Steven Schleicher. I run a website called Majorspoilers.com, a site all about comics and pop culture. Along with me is Matthew Peterson, who's been working with me now eight years uh, on Major Spoilers. Uh, I've been collecting comic books uh, for uh, decades now. This is a picture of my comic book collection in 2007. Um, when I moved into my new house, and you can see these are long box size. If you know what a long box size is, it's about three feet long, two and a half feet long. And um, that's what it looked like in 2007. I tried to go and take a picture of what it looked like today, but the nerd room of doom is completely packed there, with things. There is no egress. Uh, but I can t- count the number of boxes, and based on the number of uh, comics that uh, each box holds, I have somewhere in the neighborhood of 14,000 comics, more than 14,000 comics, uh, not counting trade paperbacks or hardbound volumes or special editions. or You, know, you can see the Calvin and Hobbes uh, volume up there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when I started collecting, I didn't know a whole lot. And, you know, my collection, some people may say, well, you know, Stephen, you started reading comics in the 80s, um, and so your collection really begins there. What I'm doing is I'm actually starting to go backwards and actually starting to pick up old comics, uh, things from the Silver Age. Good luck trying to find things from the Golden Age. We'll talk about those in just a moment. (laughs) Um, But... Really, when you're going and buying a comic book to add to your collection or you're looking to sell comics from your collection, you're going to find them at a variable prices. And a lot of that is based on what a comic book shop or what a, a professional group like the uh, comic um, – what is it? The CGC. CGC com- I think it's Comics Grading Corporation or what they Corporation. What they label that, that comic as. So Matthew works at a, a comic shop in Topeka. Gatekeeper Hobbies, Huntoon Engage, Topeka. And th- and his main job is to grade comics. That's what he does on the weekends. Is he goes in, sits down with comics, and figures out what rating they are. So very quickly, I thought what we would go through is some things to consider. Then the um, the the grading numbers, so that some of you are familiar th- with that, and then some things to kind of keep in mind and, and things that affect uh, grade and value. So the first thing is storage. Um, I think storage is really important. We we hear tales of people who find collections under a bed, have been sealed in a Ziploc bag, uh, or put in a uh, news. Uh, well, somebody used to store his comics in old uh, newspaper, <laughs> newspaper. Uh, plastic the, newspaper. The Sunday newspaper uh, covers. Yes, those were terrible too. Why are those bad? Well, the problem that you have is that those plastic bags, and especially if you ever put, I'm going to tell you right now, don't use brown paper storage bags mm-hmm. because of because acid, right? those bags themselves are highly acidic, and the plastic bags that you know you would use in cardboard boxes are highly acidic and will actually hasten the decay of your comic book. You could put a perfectly good comic in a brown paper bag for less than a month, a month and a half, and you'll bring it back out, and you will be able to literally see. Uh, on those that actually use the paper that isn't vinyl mm-hmm. cover that you have these days. But yeah, yeah. You'll actually be able to see the difference in the decay. Yeah. And so, really, if you're going to store things, uh, you know, um, long boxes, short boxes that you can get at a comic book store or a hobby store. I know places like um, uh, Hastings sell them, too, so you can yeah. find them at most uh, places that sell comics. Those are acid-free boxes. Those are really good boxes to store things in. That collection that you saw of mine a moment ago, I use a company called Drawer Pot Boxes because when you've got you know six rows of, of uh, or ten, ten stacks of uh, six rows, okay. um, going down to the bottom box is really hard. So drawer boxes are nice because you just pull them out like a drawer. Everything's there. It keeps everything stacked. They're really, really kind of neat. Yeah, but, but we were talking about bags just a little bit ago. Same way with your boxes when you're talking about acidity, uh, when you're talking about um, decomposition of the, of the plastic. It's really important to know the difference between the Mylar and the poly bags because those are two options that you'll see at a comic book shop. Yes. Mylar. 
Mylar is I what, I, what I go with as well. And something that most people won't tell you, especially with an older book or a book that is in some way valuable, mm -hmm. I recommend that you change the bags at least every five years. Even with Mylar? Even with Mylar. Because um, I don't know if you've ever... I, I think I need to invest in a Mylar company. Then. Yeah, but the thing is, I will actually occasionally get a, like, a collection. And you come mm -hmm. in. As you remove the book from even a perfectly good Mylar bag, you will see the imprint on the mm -hmm. bag of the cover, front and back cover, of what's in that comic book. And, and a lot of that times it's because, well, in that, yeah. it also goes back to the storage piece because, yep. you know, long boxes are not cheap. I mean, it's like 15 bucks or something like that for a really good long box. Mm -hmm. And people are like, well, I'm going to cram 500 comic books in here. And so they've got them smashed up against one another. And so you've got the cover rubbing up against the plastic. That yes. deteriorates and it, and it pulls away. There is an option if you have something that you think is really valuable is this idea of slabbing it where basically, you know, the nice thing about Mylar and Poly is you can reopen that bag and you can reexamine the comic, you know, 20 years later, 30 years later, whatever. When you have something slab from CGC, they actually seal it into a big old chunk of plastic and you can't open it up without devaluing the, the comic. They remove all of the air and all of the contaminants from the book, so it will not change. And when you get a CGC book, it will actually have a grade, mm -hmm. and that grade if it's long as it's in that slab, rather, that grade should not, in some cases people would say cannot, but I don't like absolutes, wouldn't get any worse. You can guarantee that if it is a CGC book that's graded in that slab, that's what you're getting. Downside is, if you take it out of that slab to read it, it's no longer going to be necessarily the same grades. Yeah, It's exactly. more of an option for... If you really want to get a slab book and put it on your wall. Yeah, so like, for example, if I wanted to take that, you know, that Death of Superman and slab it, that'd Why? be like worth a million dollars someday, right? Yeah. So also, in addition to just bags, the other thing you might want to consider is adding boards to those bags. And by, you might want to consider absolutely used boards. And it's one of those things where, for a very long time, I couldn't afford the boards. Mm -hmm. And I would buy the books and I would store the, the long box vertically so the books are lying on one another. And the weight of the books is holding the other books flat. And I'm thinking, that's as good as a board. It's not. Yeah, but it'll cause some curling. And, yes, yeah, it, some other you cause stuff. curling. You can also cause something that I sold some books online to a gentleman. And we very rarely get really bad feedback. But he sent a very, very scathing remark. And he's like, please note pressing, which is the, the term for when you take a book that's old and it's curling and you put stuff on top of it. Mm -hmm. It wasn't so much pressing as I didn't have storage space, and it spent time in the box yeah, while yeah. we were setting it for the eBay. But it created, you know, the same thing. It created the the stress. And the, and, the, and, and and that's really caused if you if you look at a at a comic book, it's 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 folded paper. Right. So the the paper on the edge that you're opening up, like this part over here, is going to be thinner than the spine is at. And so what happens right. is when you stack them, they start to over lean. time kind of lean a little bit. This is an exaggeration. Uh, but they lean a little bit, and then that causes the, the pages to, to bend and curl. Okay. The final item that we have down here is room condition. Yes. Um, my comics are stored in the basement, but um, our house is climate controlled. Uh, we've got a yes. dehumidifier. And yes. so we keep everything low humidity throughout the house. I was at a house previously where it was like every other day I was emptying the dehumidifier mm -hmm. uh, just to keep the room uh, dry. And so you do want to make sure that your rooms are dry, that they're cool, that there's no – I prefer no direct sunlight anywhere in the room, but, you know, that's Even just me. And you, you want to make sure that you're limiting as, the light as much as possible. Yeah, yeah. Sunlight and uh, internal light from uh, – what do they call those things? Light bulbs? Yes, thank you.
All right, so what is a comic worth? How do we decide whether a comic is worth a dollar or a comic book is worth $1,000 or a million dollars in the case of, of Action Comics number one? They really are based on three things, the condition, the grade, the rarity, and the marketability. So when we look at grades, we can grade them. You'll, you'll hear things from uh, grades of um, excellent to poor or a, a number scale from 10 to zero. Matthew uses a, a number scale. That's what the, uh, yes. the CGC uses. And the first one that you'll hear is the 10.0, and yes. really, it's near impossible to find a 10.0 comic. It, it is. It, it, a brand new comic off the printing press going into a box may not be a 10.0 comic. This is a book that has literally virtually no defects, nothing at all wrong with it. And for instance, if a book is, if something goes wrong in the bindery, if a book is trimmed wrong, if a book is stapled funny, at the actual printing press, it comes off the press at a lower grade mm -hmm. because that does enhance the collectability factor and what they look as the the eye appeal of the book. Mm -hmm. and, you know, there's a lot of times too. I mean, just in the printing process, that the first couple, sometimes hundred comics that come off the press mm -hmm. are not going to have the same coloring. They're going to have uh, printing errors just in the way that it's been printed, mm -hmm. as opposed to a comic in the middle of the stack or a comic at the the end of the stack. So even in the, even in a single run of a comic, you can find variations just in the color. So when you see someone say, well, I've got a 10.0 of Spider-Man, and this is one of those, yes. um, it is very, very rare. Skeptical. And unless it's slab, like this is an example of a slab comic from CGC, just just keep in mind that uh, somebody may want to go back and relook at it. So and what we normally find is a comic mm -hmm. which are considered near mints are 9.4s, uh, sometimes 9.6. Yes. Um, basically, you'll see gradations between 9 and 10, 9.2, 9.4, 9.6, they'll pop up and essentially what they're saying is it's not the 10.0, but it is very much what they call the near mint or near mint minus, which is very complicated comic. And what you're looking at is there are very, very subtle kind of defects that you can mm -hmm. have in that book, very minor imperfections. Um, if you look at this particular book, which is on my filthy desk at the store, Gatekeeper Hobbies Hunting and Gage Topeka, um, you can actually see, if you look at the the price label that is on the book yeah, it's itself, stuck on the book, yeah. that price label is slabbed for eternity on the book, so I feel bad about that. And that's why it's a 9.4. That might be, yeah. yeah. That's certainly one of the things. There's a couple of things in there. If you look at the inside pages, I believe they said were off-white rather than white in scale. And we'll give you some examples of what those look like when we talk about the interiors of the book. We just want to run through right now some of the uh, some of the numberings that you're going to find. A 9.0 is considered very fine or near mint, and I put in quotes, it's outstanding eye appeal. Exactly. And this is something where if you were to 9.0, a lot of times, especially with Golden and Silver Age books, they'd arrive at the newsstand and get a stamp, and you'll see a, a date stamp or on the cover. This is the highest grade, or rather... 9.0 will not allow that. If there is a stamp on a book that would otherwise be utterly perfect, that puts that below the 9.0 grade. That single defect, that single stamp, can affect an otherwise almost perfect book to the point where it's graded down. Mm -hmm. I think this is probably the nerdiest uh, educational panel. That you is guys Strange are going Sports to, uh, Stories number one. It's got Carmine Infantino interiors. So then we have an 8.0, which is you know very fine, yeah. the George Carlin routine here. <laughs> Very fine. Yeah. How's your hair, Stephen? Very fine. Uh, yeah. The thing about 8.0, in many cases, with some of the books that you'll run into, 8.0 may be the best that you have the option to buy, uh, at, at least at a sensible price. If you walk into your average comic store, the 8.0 may be your best option. Yeah, and I mean, 
It's still a great. I mean, book. We'll, I mean, we'll talk a little bit more about you yeah. know uh, selling and buying and those kinds of things because I think that yeah. if you're collecting, there's different reasons that you might want to collect for readability. A lot of times, some people will collect just for future investment purposes. Read a book. I know. Well, certainly if it's slabbed, you're not going to do this. Yes. Um, then you have a 7.0 book. You've got fine or very fine. And, and this is one where you can't have any brown paper on the inside. And, right. and I know that sounds weird, but paper does age over time. It's especially the newsprint that they used in the 30s. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you look, again, there is an official scale. And I didn't bring it with me foolishly, but I have a card that goes, this is white, this is off-white. Oh, a little chip stand. card or something like yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, cool. Uh, at the 6.0, you have fine comics. You can see some defects on, on this one, and I, th- I don't think we go into uh, more detail on this, but you can kind of see maybe – it's a little harder to see up there, but uh, uh, right around the, uh, the, the paper uh, clip of the bindings on the side, you see there's a little bit of a, of a smudge, and then you can see that there's some offset on the uh, cover in the top corner. And on this book, the, the around the staples, you just start to see a little mm-hmm. bit, just tiny little creases, where if you look at it from here – you can't really see it. If I had to look at it and grade it, those tiny little creases will knock it down sometimes one or two whole points in mm-hmm. the book. So. And the 6.0 is considered the highest grade with a wide range of, of defects. Kind of like us. Yes. I'm more like a 4.3. Yeah. Uh, a 5.0 is a very good or fine. Yes. What is this odor of acidity? This is something that a lot of people, yes. you know, you, if you've dealt with old books before, you go into a library and you go into their stacks that haven't been touched since the 20s or something like that, or mm-hmm. maybe you go into a comic book store and you, people have that, mm, smell that scent of, of old books. Of old. <laughs> yeah. The, when it comes to comics especially, the book will start to smell acidic before you actually see the browning or anything that comes with it. And I actually have, we have a, a special locked case that has our most expensive books. And I have a tendency to go over and open it up and immediately lean over, and you get this this whiff of acidic and mold. Yeah. And it, every single time it gets me. I'm, I'm 43 years old. I've almost got a master's it's, it's degree, very, and I'm stupid enough to do that. I know, but it's, it's the nostalgia, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, everybody has that nostalgia for books and, and that smell of books, but really it is. It's decay of the book, yeah. and if you're looking at something of value, it's actually a bad thing. The odor of the book affects the grade, and a book that has a, a noticeable odor of acidity should not be graded above a 5.0. Even if you don't see it, it started to decay. At the 4.0, you have the very good. Um, These are ones that are often the highest grade for pre-1965 comics. These are the early Silver Age, Golden Age comics. And I think on this one, we actually have kind of a a closer look at what a a 4.0 wear looks like. You can see Carlene has autographed the book. Thank you. Oh, way to go, Carlene. Yeah. Um, And you can see uh, right underneath Crime Buster. I put this in for Bruce, by the way, because it's it's a hockey card. I don't have the pointer here on this one. You don't have a pointer? They just have to. So you can see Carlene's uh, written her name on it. You can look over by the the B and uh, where the the boy is at. You can see some noticeably wrinkles. Uh, You see a crease over by February. uh, And then you notice right up in the upper right hand corner where it says, Vote for your favorite wise guy. Mm -hmm. Um, And when a bike, hey, yo. You would have moved for your favorite There's, there's a crease that goes right through the wall. Yeah, there's a there's a crease there, and you can see that the, the corners are starting to uh, to not be as sharp as they are. So those are some things that you're going to look yes. at. Yes. Right? That's one of my favorite books, actually. I personally bought that book. Oh, yeah? Yeah. How, How much, much was 20 that bucks? 20 bucks. Four dotto. <laughs> Uh, grades. Uh, this is your 3.0. The yeah. goods are very goods. Uh, all comics featuring Perry Como are 3.0 or below. Just same, as a general rule of thumb. Yeah, same thing with Aerosmith. <laughs> uh, if you have the Aerosmith issue of Harbinger, 3.0 or below. Um, I'm with, joking, of course, on the Perry With Como. a 3.0 book, you get to a point where you're looking at brown pages. 
but when the paper browns... So like brown, talk about coffee. You know coffee. from coffee, when, when we talk about brown. Are we talking about like a light mocha brown, or are we talking like you sort know, mocha regular... Mocha from your, your McDonald's. Um, you're getting into kind of a tan area, kind of like you know the, this spot on my arm. But oh, you should have that checked. Yeah, see, I really do. <laughs> I think you're going to be downgraded. But when the paper browns, uh, there's a point where it starts to get really brittle, where the corner will actually chip off the book. Yeah, or break, yeah. Yeah. If you see brittleness, again, 3.0, if you have a book that's brown, but you can still very, very carefully bend it and see that it's not going to split or you know break immediately from the brittleness, you can still have that 3.0. And it's something where... It, it kind of comes down to your eye, mm-hmm. kind of comes down to subjectivity. Some people will say, this is a 3.0, and I will say... Pfft. Well, I think that that's the important thing, too, is that you need to point out, is that this is all subjective, because what Matthew may grade at a 4.0, mm-hmm. uh, somebody else may look at it and go, oh, no, this is definitely a 6, or this might be a 2, or whatever. So it's very subjective. And so is it is it worthwhile having multiple people grade your comics or look at your comics? Yes, up to a point, because you want to make sure that you have, for instance, I grade on a scale that I consider to be difficult, kind of. I grade hard. I look at things and I go, I can't call that a five. But if I were to send a book that I said, for instance, we sent um, the first appearance of The Haunted Tank, which is for three people. (laughs) If you got that, you're my guys. You're my guys. And I said to my boss, if that's more than a 5.5, I'll buy you lunch. And it came back, and it was 4.0. And I thought I was being harsh by saying 5.5. I thought it would be a 6 or better. But when they looked at it, they saw imperfections and collections of imperfections, things I didn't even notice, that brought the grade down. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's good to have a second pair of eyes in anything. Yeah, and so just also kind of keep in mind that all the pictures that we're using here are pictures that Matthew took of yeah. comics that have come through his hands. So he has access. I mean, everything that we've seen uh, that Perry is not... book you'll see is 2350. I'll sell that to you. 2350. Gatekeeper Hobbies, Huntoon Engaged. Or a 3.0... Uh, comic book. Yes, but that is a 1951 issue of Superman. And here is a uh, 1960s uh, My Favorite Martian. It's a yes. 2.0, considered good. Yes. Um, good, or uh, the 2.0s are usually considered the lowest quote-unquote collectible grade. And, yes. and when we say collectible, we're really talking about people that are getting these for investment values, right? Well, to some degree, yes. I mean, even with a reading copy, at 2.0, you start to have books that can be incomplete. You may oh, not have a back the whole cover story. Or missing a This is the point where the cover can start to be detached from the issue. Some kid cut out the x-ray specs. Yeah, or cut out uh, the Marvel used to have their Marvel value stamps. Oh, right, right. Certain times, they're actually, they make um, accommodations for that in grading, but that can affect the grade of the book, mm-hmm. too. But if you're if you're looking to collect a book, if you're looking to sell your books, I would say if it's lower than a 2.0, you probably might as well have your pile lighters. But you know, sometimes you might want to just collect comics just to read them, right? I mean, I mean that's well, kind of the fun is go back and see you madness. Know, to go back and see Wally madness. West, uh, you know, running around back in the 1960s and, and doing his crazy crazy thing. 1961. Yeah. Yep. So then we have the 1.0s. They yes. actually do have 1.0 well, they, comics. That's Matthew Laberto, by the way, from uh, Little House on the Prairie. Playing a Tron console. I remember this book when I was 12 years old. You only have the cover on this. Yes. The, uh, in a 1.0 condition, your book is probably going to... It, it can be even in pieces. That book, the front cover, the back cover, like and the interior... It's got some staining on it and some pieces. other things. Yeah. And, yeah. If you see, there's a huge chunk missing out of the side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Many times with uh, DC comics in the 60s, their numbers are in the upper right-hand corner. If you get something in this condition, you actually have to go looking for the number because it will chip off and be gone. Oh, the issue number. The actual issue number of what do I have in my hands, yeah. So you actually can have some grade at a zero. Yes. Uh, something that has little or no collectible value. These are things, I mean, I have seen, I've gone to some conventions um, before, and I'm really into pulp uh, books. And I went um, and found an original Doc Savage magazine uh, from the original publication date. That's good for non-pulp people. Yeah, that is really good. Except the book looked like it had been through a storm drain. <laughs> it looked like it had been set out in the sun to dry. The pages were all busted up. It would be considered little or no collectible value, except that it was an original Doc Savage pulp magazine, and they were still trying to sell it for $50. Right, and that, that caveat does apply, because we bought a lot of what we thought were basically just what I call trash junk comics. books. Yeah. I don't say trash, because trash is pejorative, and junk probably isn't. <laughs> but we had just a big stack of books, and they were all stuck together with water damage, and I peeled them apart, and I found The Brave and the Bull, number 28, the first appearance of the Justice League of America. And I'm like, what are we going to do with this? My boss went online and looked at that book, that book's value and the, the grading, and he said, we're going to slab it. And it came back in a 0.5 condition and slabbed. We were able to sell that book for over $700, even in that condition, because of the value of that particular title and the marketability. Well, I think that goes into some considerations that we look at when we're looking at, you know, why are these comics graded this way? Obviously, right. we've talked about some of these, so we'll go through them, but here are some better examples. Yes. So when you look, uh, someone's going to come in and say, hey, man, I, j I got the first issue of Superman here. Yeah, you totally do from 1997. It's worth about $3. Both of these books on screen are Teen Titans number 25. Number The one on the left is from 1960, and the one on the right is a recent book, the exact same book. The difference in price is approximately $20. So you need to know what you're selling mm -hmm. unless the person buying doesn't know what they're buying. Right, and that happens. It does. Here's an example of some of the minor wear that we were talking about. You can see here the staples uh, right around the spine. You can see it starting to pull away. Mm -hmm. You can start to see on the uh, on the lower uh, right corner, you can see some more damage. And then over here on the left, Matthew, we've got some uh, yeah. uh, covered attachment. If you, if you actually look on the, on the picture on the left, you can see at the bottom how the pages of the book kind of come down out of the cover. It's actually misfolded. Um, and, of course, some of the things that I looked at in the upper right, there's some damage around the spine. Mm -hmm. In the lower right, you can see serious creases and some imperfections in the color. I want to say that's a 3.0, but from this picture, I'm very yeah, near I forget sighted. which one that we had had that list. It comes as. up later. Here's another one where you can see um, some of the yellowing of the, of, the, of the pages, where on the left side, you can see the comic on the left. I think it, you said that was a 7.0, and you can see the pages look very white and crisp. Mm -hmm. The one immediately next to it, you can start to see a little browning, and I think that was like a 4.0 or something and on, those, on that one. The pages on the, the top one, you'll see Spider-Man, and then there's another comic. That top one is just bordering on brown. It's the exact same issue, came out the exact same time, one of them, the top on the right, is a 3.0 copy, mm -hmm. and the bottom is 7.0. Now, does anybody notice anything different about the, the two uh, pictures on the right, one on the top and one on the bottom? Does anyone notice anything? Yeah. 
Yeah, so you've got some different things. Good eyes. So you guys are on your way to be graders. So you'll notice a couple of things. Uh, and I think the next slide actually shows you an example of this yep. in a difference between a direct market and a newsstand edition. Right. For years and years, comics were basically distributed through newsstands, whether that would be on a street corner or a grocery store. And in probably the late 70s to early 80s, they started transitioning to the direct sales model. For a long time, Marvel does it and DC does it in a different way, but this is a Marvel comic on the left that is the direct sales edition. On the right has all of the information it needs to be sold on the newsstand. You know what year this was? The comics 75 cents would be like 1980-something? Um, I'm going to say 87. That's X-Men 213. Somebody's going to point and laugh that I'm wrong. <laughs> um, that's Sabretooth Fighting Wolverine. Yeah, it's good call, Bruce. Bruce Otter, a uh, fellow nerd. <laughs> And on this same book, in the lower right-hand corner, you'll see something. This gets people a lot. Yeah. The Spider-Man face was put in place because they had to have room for a UPC code in order to sell it on the newsstand. They didn't need that in the direct sales model, so they stuck a face in there. And it confuses people when they bring me these so books. Which is, so which is more valuable, then? Is Which of these two is more valuable, the newsstand edition or the direct market edition, or does it matter? Because in, we are looking at the exact same content. The only difference is the cover. Right. In most cases, collectors don't care. With the with these comics specifically, these two are in the exact same condition. I priced them the exact same. Mm -hmm. There are exceptions okay. to that, and I believe the next slide may show us one. Uh, no, nope. it doesn't. So, the exceptions to that would be something that I don't remember, but we'll get back to it. Okay. Most of the time, there's no difference in terms of pricing. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. Um, but maybe if you want to have the little Spider-Man logo instead of the yeah, barcode, the, then you can go with that. I, really, I find the ones with the M just more visually pleasing. To I like the little picture. And that's because I bought from a comic store when I you know, was yeah. a kid. Now, here's an interesting one. These look to be identical comics. Mm -hmm. uh, this is what we were talking about earlier, how sometimes coming off the presses, you can have variations in color. This is probably one that's been, one of them has been exposed to the sun maybe a little bit yeah. longer. When, and we, I think I name-checked it earlier, when they talk about what they call ink reflectivity, mm -hmm. on the book on the left, you see bright inks, you see bright colors and reflectivity. Dr. Doom's face on the right is kind of, especially his little mouth thing there, has kind of lost its reflectivity. There's mm -hmm. been a lot more wear on it. That's a book that spent some time with another book on top of it, basically. And they were very happy, I'm sure. Here's another one that often happens. This is one that's really confusing. Yes. I have two issues of uh, Peter Parker or Spider-Man number 78. Mm -hmm. One for 75 cents, one for 60 cents. Yes. They both came out in the same month. Yes. Why do they have a different price difference? Well, I'm glad you asked, Steve. Thank you, Matthew. Starting, and I, wish, I really wish I had um, one of the Marvel variants from the 1970s, but starting in the 70s, um, comics had been 10 or 12 cents for dozens, dozens, thousands, decades. And it came to a point where the companies were having to raise their prices. And in certain markets, Marvel especially, would send out 35-cent copies of a book, whereas everywhere else in the country, they would be 30 cents. Mm. Most of the time... So when it's you a see, regional difference. Yeah. Most of the time when you see a price variant, it's them testing the waters to raise the price. These are a little bit different. These are what people online call Canadian price variants, and what that means is... They don't have any holes in them. Nonsense. But yeah, it's another thing where about this time, Marvel went from 60 to 75 cents, and in certain regions, the book would cost a different amount. And then here we have something that's really interesting. Here's an Action Comics, a Superman Action Comics uh, number 481. Yep. And you'll Super notice Mobile. right away that uh, the DC logo has been been replaced by this uh, crazy uh, Whitman logo. Whitman logo. Yep. 
DC at one point in the 70s and I think very early 80s had a program where they would reprint their books through another publisher. And these came out of a three-pack where you could go into like a Kresge's or something. Right, right. But these and are not, so these reprints, when you see like the, the Whitman logo or Not the, technically a reprint. So it's all out at the same time? Are these all out at the same month? Or did these, can you find these like months later, six months later, a year later? Yes. Sometimes, depends. When, when it comes to Whitman, these, these variants specifically, the Whitman variant is actually considerably more expensive and more valuable for most collectors because there are fewer of them. Mm -hmm. Generally, the way I understand it, and someone will certainly correct me if I'm wrong, the print run was done vaguely simultaneously, okay. and then the Whitman people would stick them in a bag, and they may come out later. Mm -hmm. I, re but, I remember getting those. I mean, you go and yeah. you get a three-pack of Superman comics, and you yep. might they may not all be the, you know, uh, in uh, sequential order. No, but well, you would have three Superman comics. And the thing, something that's infuriating, you'll see my terrible handwriting there uh, on the the name tag. Whitman comics are not numbered on the cover. Mm -hmm. In the upper right, you can see the DC version says number 481. With the Whitman comic, you have to actually open it up and go to the printing information inside to figure out what it is you're even looking at. You know, another one that you see up there is the Comic Code Authority. Yep. There are going to be some that were done with the Comic Code Authority and some without Comic Code Authority stamps Correct. on them, right? Is that a, also a difference between newsstand and direct market? Yes and no. Okay. Um, once the Comic Code Authority was uh, enacted in, I want to say, the mid to late 50s, and I am of the opinion that it was specifically designed to put one publisher out of business, yeah, but that's yeah, yeah. neither here nor there. Um, they appeared on all of the books for a very long time until Stan Lee decided to print an issue without one because he couldn't get approval. Mm -hmm. um, there's also one very cool issue of Warlock where Jim Starlin snuck in and turned it to the Cosmic Code Authority <laughs> just to be a jerk. That's a great issue, too. And this is just close-up close detail mm -hmm. of those Fantastic Fours that we were looking at earlier. These are very similar in terms of the, the pricing and in terms of the grading, but you can see that huge fault. On the right. Yeah, yeah on the right and it's side. something where, it, in, in reality, that's like a little tiny crack. It's like a, an inch, three-quarters of an inch long. But I look at that and I see just a vast ocean of phlegm. That, that is how subtle the difference in, in something can be. That's, that literally can make the difference between a 4.0 copy and a 3.0 copy when you're grading your books. And then here we got David. Way to go, David. David. This happens a lot, you know, Stupid in David. in old comics, and I've I've come to this too, where I'm I'm out looking for comics, especially stuff from the Silver Age, where some kid, some adult, has written their name on the comic well, so that they know who it is. And this may be because of the days when it was very um, desirable to trade comics with somebody, and you wanted to make sure you got your comic back, so you're going to scrawl your name across it so that you knew you got it back. But man, how does how much does that damage the the collection? Well, in this particular case, that book would have been a 5.0 book, mm -hmm. if not for that that particular signature and I think a couple of interior things. This actually may be one of the ones that had the uh, coupon cutout. Oh, Marvel. Okay. Mm -hmm. In this case, it would have been the stamp rather, or yes, the character stamp rather than the Marvel value stamp. Question. Yes. Because uh, a lot of times the first thing you see is the cover. I would say that, for me, I would grade it roughly the same. But if you were going to see, uh, if you just walked into a store and you saw a book, yeah, it probably would, as a buyer, make a difference. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I've found books, too, and 
where someone has gone and taken a three-hole punch oh. and three-hole punch through the spine so that they could collect their stuff in a three-ring binder. Hang on, I have to collect. I know, myself. and I know, and I know it may sound weird, but again, it depends on. It goes back to that question of why do you want that comic? You know, sure. are you are you buying it to read in that case? Clearly, and still. I've seen them. I literally picked up. Uh, there were th- like three different versions of a Flash comic because uh, that's the run that I'm doing the back. Uh, I got the a backlog on. By the way, if you want to I will look at that. Okay. Um, but I'm I'm trying to do a back run right now, and I had three different versions of the Flash that I could choose from, and one of them had a hole punch with a name scribed on it, and it was still eighty dollars. And then there was there were two others that were better. One had a really um, rounded spine and everything, yeah. but uh, if you want to hear me sing like Morrissey, just hand me a book that's been three. <laughs> yeah, the, and you would be surprised. That happens a lot, though. I mean, it happens a lot. Yes, and uh, honestly, for many, many years, comics were purely disposable entertainment. Yeah. They were the same as the Sunday funnies. You read them, you chuck them. Um, this I put drowning, in because Walter Simonson's signature looks like a dinosaur. But those are also. This is what. I call a brown page. This is where the page is officially a brown page, which knocks you down again below the 5.0. And screen. there's a little bit of difference between our screen and here, but I think you yeah. can kind of see that brownish see that, we're, that we're talking Does about. Does it just look white? No, it, it looks brownish. Do, they, do you see the row of white at the bottom? Yeah. Plus Simonson dinosaur. Here's here's a sad thing. This is what happens when we were talking about um, when, when comics are pushed against each other and, and really stored flat or you put 500 in your long box mm-hmm. when it only holds 250. Yeah, if you look at this cover, this is what uh, professional people, they call that just basically soiling and the reason for that is because it is dirt. Um, but the thing about this particular book, many times you'll find people who will take a little, like a gum eraser or an art eraser, and they'll go over this and try and take out the, the soiling. Mm-hmm. It's a good plan. And it can work, but you have to be very careful because as you're taking off that soiling, you're also taking, taking off the paint ink. and ink. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't try to clean this one because it's a Golden Age faucet comic, rather. And the rarity of me seeing Captain Marvel books at all, I was just like, oh, I'm going to put it in the bag. Here's a good example of chipping. Yes. This is what happens when you know the edge of the comic. I mean, that's the the spine and the and the uh, the main edge are what take the a lot of the damage with comics. And when they're banged around and they're thrown around, oh, we all do this, right? You get your new comic, whatever it is, chuck Superman. It in the bag, chuck the bag chuck it in the bag. You thing. toss it in the back of the car. Over time, this kind of stuff Let's builds up and wears up. But you can tell that this is a comic that's been well read too, because yeah. it's, the pages have been turned a lot. And this is something else where um, this is an example of we talked about the 10.0 book. You may have a book come off the printing press not perfect. Mm-hmm. For a very long time, there, there's a phenomenon you'll run into called Marvel chipping. Whatever it was that Marvel Comics printer was using to cut the edge of the book was not sharp. So it would cause chipping as they trimmed the book for sale. And that chipping gets worse and worse and worse, and sometimes you'll see. This is one where I'm a little obsessive-compulsive, and in many cases, I'll take those little foldy parts and I'll fold carefully them fold yeah. them back. You use tweezers? I use my fingers. Do you wear gloves? No, but I do wash my hands before I go into my office because my office is filthy. But this is one where the cover was brittle enough that when I started to try and lift it, it started to break off. And for you know, for storage purposes, I'd rather have a complete cover with that mm-hmm. bend than a cover that's missing a chunk of that size. See why I'm called the Sandman? See, he's called the Sandman because he's made of sand. Uh-huh. He's oh, my it. goodness, what happened here? A bug. bug uh, or a rat or something. I can't Probably not me. a rat, probably a mouse. But you'll run into this a lot in books that are stored in basements or, God help you, garages. garages. Yeah. I cannot tell you the horror 
of a stack of books that came out of somebody's garage because I, I, my hands turned purple. And this is a book that something chewed on and literally ate the corner of the paper. That's Reggie Mantle. He's just a jerk. Yeah, but there's also you also hear um, sometimes collectors talk about flocking. Foxing. Foxing, sorry. Yes. And foxing, basically, if you look, especially around the collar in there, yeah. just and little another spots, one over in the border in the gutter. little spots of mold in in the actual paper itself. This is this is kind of the the freckle version of that browning. And that's but that's basically mold, though, right? Yeah. It well, and the browning is basically partly mold. Mold and mildew. Um, uh, we had an issue. Dell Comics, which is a defunct publisher, used to do books based on public figures. We had an issue of, it was a John F. Kennedy book that came in. And my boss to this day laughs hysterically and tells people how John F. Kennedy tried to kill me because I opened the cover of the book and the foxing had gone in, but there was mold in the spine. And as I opened it, mold shot right in my face. <laughs> and I'm allergic to mold, so I sneezed and coughed and sounded like an idiot for about an hour. So some other things beyond just, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking about um, how do we grade the comic and how do we decide whether it's a, a 1.0 or a 10.0. But there are some other things that uh, you can take into consideration too, and that's rarity. So comics from the late 80s forward, I put in quotes, worth very little because, and I mentioned earlier, the death of Superman, Superman 75. Right, 1993. Uh, I'm going to make a million dollars off this comic someday because it's the death of Superman. Well, guess what DC did? They printed a bamillion of those issues. That issue did have a, a print run of more than a million. Yeah, and everybody bought one because they thought it was going to be collectible. So it's not rare. It's not a rare comic. And that's what happens really in a lot of the 80s forwards comics is they're not rare. Uh, you can find them very easily. I was I pulled up to a, a, a Radio Shack a couple of weeks ago, and um, my license plate says comics on the front of it. And the guy from the jewelry store came running out. And he's like, oh, are you into comics? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, oh, I've got a whole stack of them in here. You should come and check out. I'm getting ready to sell them. And I go in, and they're all like uh, the Kents. You young know, the, Blood. The, the Young Blood. All the stuff from the 80s. I'm like, sorry, that, I'm not interested in any of that. But if you have comics from the Silver Age, from basically 1956 to the 1970s, and some maybe you could probably go up to like 75 or so. Mm. Um, but in the Silver Age proper, those are books that will get you noticed because those are, those are starting to get more rare. And yes. certainly if you have books in the golden age, somebody, again, brought us the, brought in his uh, iPhone and was showing me a picture of a Detective Comics number one that he had. Mm -hmm. That's definitely a golden age comic from 1938 to 1950. Those are worth something, even in poor condition, as we saw earlier with the, with the 0 0.5. Yep. Um, they're going to be worth something just because of their rarity. There aren't a million Action Comics number ones lying around from 1938, and that's why when you see them go up on auction blocks, yeah. they go for anywhere from $650,000 to multiple millions of dollars, um, depending on their condition. Yeah. And you'll notice there's a little lacuna in there between 1950 and 1956 where it's no longer a Golden Age book, but it's not yet a Silver Age yeah, book. Yeah, the Atomic Age, right? Uh, yeah, I call it the Atomic Age. Some people call it other things. And uh, by the way, the, the Silver Age ends with uh, Green Lantern, yeah, yeah. Green Arrow number 76. Right. Anyone who wants to fight me? Does rarity does line. rarity trump grade? Yes. If I have, you know, the the only appearance of Perry Como in a, in a yeah. comic, and it's a and it's a two dot oh. Is, is it, that? It, I mean, does that mean it's going to be more expensive because it's the only appearance of Perry Como that exists? Honestly, it can because there are collectors of specific things. There's, I personally bought a Superman number 62, and 62 is the wonderful crossover of Superman and Orson Welles. That is not a joke. 
It is a crossover of Superman and Orson Welles while he's making the movie Cagliostro, however one pronounces that. And it's a book where you get into those, they're all running, you know, 10, 12. If you buy them in my grade, $30. But that particular book jumps because people are like, I want this comic where Superman meets Orson Welles. Or there are people who just collect horror comics. There are people who collect horror comics with coffins on the cover. So, I mean, your rarity does come into play if you have a book that's in really bad condition, like mm-hmm. the Justice League that we mentioned. I was just looking up here as an auction from 2011. Action Comics number one, graded at a 9.0, which is rare, that's, super rare. Um, that's expletive deleted. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating. Went for $2.16 million just because of the rarity of the comic. Now, I don't know if it's on I this next... I have $9 dollars in checking right now. There's another question that I have about restoration. Okay. Because you were saying, oh, should I you know, take my little gum eraser and try to rub off the dirt or pick up the dirt? Or what if I have a chipped cover? Should I go and have that repaired? Because there are people that will go and repair covers. There are people that will go in and remove the, the mold. There are companies that will go out there and whiten the pages. Yes. There are people who can actually, they go in and they have a technique where they rebuild the corners and they have professional painters who go in and paint in missing borders and chunks of the book, which is a, I wish I had the ability to do that job because that'd be fascinating. But but doesn't that lessen the, the comic or does it, it make it better? It can and it can't. A restored comic basically, well here's, here's the real deal. If you're going to restore a comic, it should be a comic that has value. Right. It has to be a comic that somebody's really... So do you think want. this Action Comics was restored? I don't know. They have to tell you. It'd be and in This there. was a news article, if so I doubt it says it was... If it's graded at a 9.0, I would say... This is not from the auction. I would side. say, honestly, my expectations, yeah. Because a 9.0 Golden Age book would be the equivalent of finding a, full, a four-leaf clover on a unicorn's head. But when you talk about restoration... And I say this, and I want you to know that I mean no disrespect. I am the very bottom rung of what you would call professional grade. I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm the the AAA league. But amateur restoration, like when you would put tape on a book as a kid, I did that. When you would take a book yeah. and you'd staple the corner because the staple was slipping. Mm-hmm. Amateur restoration is always always a bad thing. It is always something that will downgrade. I don't know if this is an example of a... This isn't an example of restored comic. This must be one that's... This is an example of what you could see if you restored a comic, if they were to square off those edges. Mm -hmm. And they'll actually go in in some cases and they'll use a very, very special... I think it's like a bleach compound to whiten the pages again. So don't use tape or glue or whiteout when you're restoring comics. Go to a professional... Uh, amateur repairs are not allowed, right? Correct. So Amateur. you're so Rodrigo Lopez over here. Say hi, everybody. Hi, Rodrigo. So giving it to Rodrigo, and he goes and grabs a can of Windex off of the shelf <laughs> and attempts to bleach your uh, your comic for you. Right, is not going to help your comic. I, and I, right off the top of my head, in front of thousands and thousands of my screaming fans, I cannot tell you what the grade is, but there is a grade level within this book. Right here in my hand. You can get one of these and hunt, tune, engage, Topeka Gatekeeper Hobbies. Um, amateur repairs, actually, again, are something where a book that would normally grade higher can be knocked down just by that one thing, a little piece of tape, or evidence that there was a piece of tape. Yeah. And so rarity then, uh, rarity and grade actually go into our marketability uh, area. And when we talk about marketability, it's can you sell this comic? Right. Uh, so how in demand is the book, the character, the publisher? Mm-hmm. Uh, oftentimes you'll see uh, first appearances such as uh, New Mutants number 98, which came <laughs> out after the 80s. Remember I said that they're worth very little? 
um, or not collectible. Yeah. Uh, New Mutants number 98 is worth a lot of money because it's the first appearance of Deadpool. Right. Um, you could Whereas have, there is no other issue of New Mutants that will make you more than $4 in... And what's the 98 going for? The 98, the last one I sold, we had slabbed it at an 8.0, and I'm going to say... I'm going to probably be wrong, but I'm going to say $37-ish. Okay. So what about um, you got some classic or iconic covers, you know, the first appearance of Supergirl popping right. out of the rocket ship. Hi, cousin. Hi. Or um, you've got, uh, uh, you know, the... Uh, you've got Superboy going, what? As they yeah, push yeah, the as button, they push the say, button on Legion of Superheroes. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about Noted Artists? Noted Artists could be a, a big deal on this as well. Absolutely. The, if you go and collect um, Walt Disney comics, specifically mm-hmm. Donald Duck, and I do recommend it, by yeah, the way. Don Rosa? Uh, Carl Barks. Carl Barks, okay. Rosa as well. But mm-hmm. in the in the late golden age, you'll have runs of it where it's like Walt Disney's comics, $8, $8, $8. Carl Barks art, $20. Mm-hmm. Just certain artists on the book, you know, people, the collectors know they're going to get something different mm-hmm. out of that book. Um, well, that yes. same thing happens with John Byrne in an mm-hmm. issue of Spider-Man. It's just like... Here's spectacular Spider-Man. But it also, maybe not even artists, but also writers. I mean, we see the same thing with uh, Alan Moore, right? In some cases, yeah. And writers, honestly, when it comes to comics, writers have kind of a more difficult road to hoe. But yeah, Uh, a writer who jumps into the middle of a book, there's an issue of, I think, spectacular Spider-Man again, where it's Frank Miller. Mm-hmm. Boom, Frank Miller, that book's twenty eight fifty. whereas before and after, $7.50. So let me ask you another one. I didn't put it on here. What about autographs? A lot of people are asking us for autographs over the weekend. Now, that's great, but what, what about having um, one of the creators sign the comic? What does that do to its marketability? There's two kinds of autographs. Okay. There's, I've Real gone to say, and fake um, autographs. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a name out there, Dynamic Forces, and they've sold me a thing yeah. with a, a certificate of authenticity. It's in a bag. You can prove that this was signed by Barfler. And at that point, that book could sell for more. I have in my collection, and no, you can't see it, Adventure into Fear number 19, the first appearance of Howard the Duck. Mm-hmm. I met Steve Gerber, the creator of Howard the Duck, right. a few years before he passed away. He signed that book for me. In some cases, you're going to look at me like I'm crazy. The autograph can actually lower the collectability value. Because, A, I have nothing that mm-hmm. proves that it was actually Steve Gerber and not Otter in the audience who signed that book. But secondly, if you want a really, really perfect 10.0 comic, that signature can be as much a defect as, you know, little Davy who signed the issue of Fantastic David. Four. Davy. If you're out there, Davy. I also say that, um, and it's my opinion, I don't know if Matthew agrees or not, but to me, prior to the internet, comics were more rare because the only places you could go to Felt were your con- local conventions, your co- your collectors, your local store, because that's where it was. Yeah. You wouldn't, you didn't, if you were living in North Carolina, you didn't have the ability to travel to Washington State right. and go to a comic book store and see if they had that issue in there. So comics were quote-unquote rare. This article that I was uh, quoting from about uh, Action Comics, it said prior to the most recent years, um, they thought that there were only 100 copies of Action Comics in existence. And now it seems like every couple of weeks somebody else finds a new Action Comics number one. And I say that after the internet, because of online auction sites like Heritage Auctions, which sells a lot of of, of the comics at at high prices, eBay and some other uh, online auction sites, that comics are less rare because Years ago, I was trying to find the first appearance of Impulse, and I lived in Atlanta, and that issue <laughs> sold out very quickly. And I love Impulse. I mean, that's why I collect. It sells in Atlanta because it, his, his costume looks like Coca-Cola. <laughs> yes, but, but uh, the Impulse issue in Flash was super hard to find. I couldn't find it, couldn't find it, couldn't find it. And even Flash when I moved, 91, moved to... Uh, 90-something. Yeah. 
And even when I moved to Kansas, I went through all the comic book stores that I could, still couldn't find that issue. Went online. Ten of them. A hundred of them. For a quarter. A hundred of them for a dollar. So, you know, the Internet has really changed the marketability of comics. And even with, you know, the action comics that pop up, at any given time, there's somebody, and probably hundreds of somebodies, who can give you a pretty accurate census of this is how many action comics we know are in existence right now. Mm -hmm. And if one turns up in Steven's grandma's basement, they're going to go, oh, now there's 67 copies of that particular. And so that could actually alter. Did I tell you we got an action comics number eight? I don't want to hear it. I I don't have the money. man. I was like, (gasps) it was like meeting Davy Jones. So what do you expect when you're selling and buying? Well, first of all, if you want to sell your comics, Mm -hmm. you can sell them online. There's nothing wrong with selling them online. If you have something extremely rare or you believe is extremely rare, Heritage Auctions, which is out of, I believe, New York, uh, they're very interested in, uh, in in talking with you. Conventions are another place that you can buy rare comics mm-hmm. or your comic shop. But here's the conversation that happens in the comic shop. Hey, the CBG says that this book is worth lots of bank, yo. Correct, and then I will explain to you that. So give me the, it says $500. Give me okay. $500 for this comic book. Well, this is the thing. The CBG, Comic Buyer's Guide, first of all, I don't think it exists anymore. But if you go to your Overstreet Guide, sure. that's the price that you will pay to buy that book. That's the selling price yeah, average the MSRP, the basically. If you're going to sell it to me, I'm going to give you a percentage of that price so that I can take it, make sure that it's in good condition, put it in a bag, sell it to that next person for a profit because those comic You've all seen uh, Pawn Stars, right? I mean, that, I that guy really- all the time is like, hey, look, I can't – I know that you could go and, and buy this rocket for $500, but I've got to – Pay my employees. Yep. I've got to put it online. I've got to bag and board it. Exactly. I've got to store it. That is my cost. And the really same thing happens at a comic book shop. Yes, exactly. And something that you will run into in a comic shop is we have people come in all the time with their whole collection. Here's yeah. nine long boxes. Mm-hmm. My boss and I will go through and go, we need seven of your books. Yeah, Those seven books collection. are worth $40. I will give you $50 for all nine long boxes. And is that, I mean, is that something that should surprise people? I mean, if you go in and you have a long box of boxes to sell, don't be surprised if you get $20 for that long box. It, and it is a thing. There are unscrupulous people out there. There are people who will try to hose you. But I like to think that we run a pretty honest store. And what it comes down to is if I need your New Mutants 98 or need, if I want to purchase <laughs> your New Mutants 98 and you have... 1 through 97, 100 annual, 1 through 5, and you don't want me to take the one valuable book out of that run, I will, pre- I will give you a price for that whole book, but then I have four runs of New Mutants without the 98 in the back of my store that now become overhead. So it is a thing where you're, you're going to be dealing with, it, it's a business. The people who are buying your books are trying to make a profit, yeah. hopefully a scrupulous and so let's, decent profit. Let's go back to the Schleicher collection. 14,000 <laughs> comics yep. that someday are going to be like the Mile High collection. Somebody's going to dig up my corpse, come into my house, find You're my dead body, and they're going to find 14,000 comics You are downstairs. powered by pure hate, my friend. <laughs> You'll be alive forever. So because I've got the Schleicher collection, mm-hmm. it's obviously worth more. No. Why? Well, because the Schleicher collection... But it's all be, comics that I bought. Yes, but if it were... a, a when you look at what are like the Mile High collection, a pedigreed collection, yeah. that is a series of books that this gentleman bought himself right. off the stands, mm-hmm. took home, stored in very specific conditions, mm-hmm. and that collection is worth money because you know that A, it's had one it's owner, single owner, it's got loan mileage, 
Uh, it's got the uh, little spoiler on the back. Yeah. Major spoiler. Yeah. But more importantly, a mile-high collection books all have the expectation of very high grade, nearly unread in most cases, so, not unread comics. Yeah, if you don't know about the Mile High Collection, somebody died. Um, Edgar Church, I believe, I believe is his name. And his widow was trying to sell the comics. The local comic – well, Bruce probably knows the story a little bit better, but essentially she was trying to sell the comics – this comic collector came over, looked at him, saw what the collection was worth, basically offered her uh, like it, seven bucks a pound or something for the for the for the comics, and had like a hundred thousand comics that this guy had had been collecting over the years, um, and and because it was the single owner collection, that's why they can say that this is a pedigreed collection that we know where it came from. When we talk about the Schleicher collection, sure, everything from '85 forward has all been single owner, yeah. but if I'm going back before '85 and going into back issues. That's questionable because what I go and pick up at a comic book conve- convention may have passed through ten people's hands before right. it got to me. You had a comment? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Tons and tons, and and he kept his books just and you would think he had Action Comics number one. He had gorgeous books. In perfect mm-hmm. condition, yeah, they cool, were great collection. Dry, dark place. If you get a chance, go up to the Mile High Comics website. Uh, the guy has a great article about how he came across this collection and what he had to do. Basically, he had I think 24 or 48 hours to get all the comics out of the house, yeah. and it was like truckload after truckload after truckload of comics that he was yeah. pulling out of this house. It's a great story to read. Yeah, but that brings up this question: Why collect comics? Because uh, it's fun, right? I mean, you is. have the first issue of The Flash. You have the first appearance of Wolverine in Hulk 181. Am I right that is that? the final panel of the final page of Hulk 180. 180. First. That's considered the first cameo appearance. Of there was actually, I, I read somewhere the other day, and we were talking about this earlier, that there's actually an appearance of Wolverine before this in an ad for this particular issue right. that came out the month before. And, it, and there was a picture of Wolverine. is in black and white, and basically this same pose, and it says, who is the Canadian menace known as the Wolverine? Find out next month in the Hulk 180. And for collector's purposes, the first appearance of Wolverine is still going to be yeah, yeah, Hulk yeah. number 181, yeah, yeah. The, the issue that came. I've, for but years like, and years, I mean, I've Why do you collect comics? Why, do you, why did you... Why did you this, is like, this isn't your Holy Grail comic, but this is one that you sought for a long, long time. Yeah, we actually did. The store, for a long time, just kind of had this bounty on can we get a first appearance of Wolverine that we can afford. I collect because um, I was... As a child, I was very serious. I was a tiny little adult, and I, I did everything to try to be grown up because, I, you know, you're young, you're an idiot. When I was 11 years old, my Uncle Bob told me I was too old for funny books. And I figured that, yeah, I figured something's going on there that he doesn't want me to see. That's the best way to get me to do things is tell me I can't do it. And when I started reading the books, I started, you know, you get to a point where you, you not only appreciate Spider-Man is awesome, mm-hmm. but you recognize the difference between Al Milgram yeah, and yeah, John yeah. Byrne, and you get to a point where, if you're me, you can tell the difference between lettering by Artie Simek and lettering by Ben Oda. Yeah. That's heavy-duty nerdery. Don't do that. Well, it I, for me, it's, for me, it's all nostalgia because you know oh. I read these, I read these comics, and I and I love particular stories, and I love particular runs, and now as I go back and I see that issue, even if it's an old issue. Um, I'm like, I remember where I was when mm-hmm. X happened. I remember the summer where I had nothing to do but buy comic books all summer and just read them. In some and cases, it's the only way he remembers what yes. happened when. Yes. He all right, we, we are almost out of time. Uh, okay. We have a time for just a few questions if anybody has any questions. Yes, She-Hulk? Uh, Bruce, you want to run, run this? Run, Bruce, run. Thank you, sir. Fly, little friend, be free. One thing... 
Yeah. Ooh, you're on. Eric Schoep was on. Hello. Um, one thing I've been considering, and this is just kind of a plan, it's not something I'm planning on doing, but I have a issue of She-Hulk number one mm-hmm. figure. Mm-hmm. The, like the most recent run of She-Hulk? Like the first both, one? Both. One okay. From, um, but the old one from 79. Where she's in the ripped first dress appearance. on the cover? I'm sorry? Is it the one where she's in the ripped dress on the cover yes. going, Bleh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it is CGC'd at a 9.4. Okay. Holy moly. Good. good. Yeah, it's pretty good. I am going to Chicago Comic Con in August, and Stan Lee will be there. One of the ideas that I had, would it be worth it to bust that open, have Stan Lee pay him the 80 bucks to have him sign it, and then walk over to the CGC booth and have them reevaluate The answer to that depends on you. Yeah, it's all about you. Do you have that comic because you love She-Hulk, or do you have that comic because you love the 9.4 grade? Or do you love that comic because it's worth... Right. Something at that 9.4 grade. If you if you open because it's case, not going to be a, it's not going to go the grade probably won't go up any higher than that. Yeah. If you open the case, there's a very real possibility that if you were to try and re-slab it, it would be lower. But I would say if it were me again, I have my my Howard Chakins and I have my Steve Gerber's. I have a few autographs that I got. I love them. These are my books, and if you try and take them from me, I'll go higher. I mean, that's a hard call. I would say that's on you. If you really, really think it would be awesome to what have about, that. What about just signing What about just signing the slab? Would, would Sign that, the slab, too. Would that do anything to the value? Probably not. Yeah. Um, I, wanna, it's, it's the I don't, I I don't the think that a signature the on the slab would lower the value. No, I don't Because think the book the inside is still encapsulated. Yeah. I'd love to have something signed by Stanley that was... Yeah, yeah. I mean... You know, just because you have Stan Lee's autograph, and remember, Stan Lee's autograph is not a rarity, uh, <laughs> like like maybe Baby Ruth's is, because he goes to conventions and charges you know a thousand people a hundred bucks a piece to get his name signed, and he'll do a hundred signatures, and that's what he does, and he goes to four or five conventions a year. So you think he's been doing that for twenty, thirty, fifty, sixty years now? His 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 um, yeah. his his autograph is out there. So I would say the answer is yes. So for possible. sentimental reasons, for nostalgia reasons. I say just have him sign the slab. Okay. That sounds like a good plan. As far as you had mentioned that you had a sign, um, the Howard the Duck signed by the creator, mm-hmm. but you had no authenticity. Or I have no. I got nothing. I got. I don't even have a picture. What I mean, I'm sure if Stanley signs it, he doesn't. Does he hand out a certificate with each signature, no. or if you just I don't a get a picture, get a picture, the book, yeah, get a picture of him holding it with his see, signature on it. You see that a lot. Where, um, like when I met Michael Turner before he passed, um, I got a picture of him signing my books, okay. uh, and he's very cool with that. And most most um, creators will let you do that. Okay, cool. Now Stanley may be a little bit different. Yeah. Any other questions? Yeah, another question. We've got time for like one question, more. Question. Let's go over here, go over here and then we'll get to you, Nate, real quick. Dun, dun, dun. Because we are just about out of time. Okay. So a couple years ago, um, my f- now so fiance decided to buy me a CGC 9.8 wow. uh, Wolverine from... <laughs> no, we no, said wow with the grade. From, and <laughs> from no, November in 1988. Yeah. Right? Because... Yeah, that, that's the uh, the month I was born, so it actually yeah. like means oh, you're too something young. to me. Yeah. Um, right now, I just have it sitting on a shelf above my TV, like kind of displayed. Mm-hmm. Is that an improper way to? Well, so that's a good question about the slab comics because um, all the air has been pumped out of them. But right. are the slabs UV coated to prevent like uh, sunlight um, fading? Are uh, they? Are okay, they good? Okay. I would say yes because of the heat. I don't. You okay. don't want to book above a heat source like that. Okay, my okay. my TV is old and puts out like a yeah, furnace. I, so yeah. 
it's my my advice with a book that's in a slab is you want to store it upright somewhere that's again cool and dark. You can put it in your bookshelf between other two other books. Mm -hmm. Sometime in the yeah, late nineties. We don't. No, we don't. Thanks, well, Bruce. Well, I mean, it's been, twenty in some Let's cases, 20 years, so we do know, I and mean, we could go back and check. So. Bruce Tinfoil had otter, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Let's go over here to Nate for our final question, and then we've got to wrap it up. Okay, two two quick things. Oh, um, man. One, you've always you know, you've always said there's a certain type of tape that you use when you bag stuff. What is that? Oh, yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't I don't use, use tape. tape. I don't use tape because there are some really aggressive tapes out there. What I use to seal bags is... And I heat don't gun. know what its original pre uh, was. Like a heat press. It's a heat press. You, okay. It's like got a, a little handle. George Foreman press. You lay press. the book across it. Board behind the book. Yeah, yeah. By the way, you lay the board across it, and it just runs a little bit of heat behind it, and it melts yeah, yeah. the bag closed. Okay. Uh, and then second, with the advent of digital comets and you know runs not being yeah, as high. Don't slab those. No. <laughs> I've tried. Radiation. Oh man, I've got a, like a four dot <laughs> But it, it, with collecting now, mm -hmm. is there? I mean, in time, do you guys predict something to where? No, because be here's here's the problem: the publishers aren't lowering their print runs because of digital. The print runs are staying the same. So every month, there's still a hundred thousand copies of Batman being printed. Right. Uh, and until ink becomes too expensive for someone to print on or with, or the prices become so high. They're not going to change their 100,000 right. print run a month of Batman. So the rarity of comics is not going to go away. Um, and that's why you need to look at those Silver Age and Befores if you're looking for something that it's considered rare. And I think if you look at you know book collectors and coin collectors and you know similar type numismatic things, yeah. you'll have people who, even though it's no longer uh, – they're no longer making them, they're no longer printing them, they're no longer doing pulp comics, there are still geeks like us – who do the collecting, who go out and find mm -hmm. what they like the hunt because it's there. Ed, it's fun. It's fun. If it's down to like nine guys. So. Yeah, yeah. All right, everybody. That wraps it up for this panel. I hope it – did everybody learn something? I know this is more of the, the science-y side, the, the uh, educational side, but I hope I you guys hope enjoyed it. I hope we weren't it. boring. You can find me at Major Spoilers. You can find Matthew at Mighty King Cobra on Twitter, and we'd really love it and appreciate it if you'd come visit us at our website at major, or Majorspoilers.com. You'll be able to find me at that comfy chair right across the hall. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. <laughs>